welcome to Fat Free Film. I'm Kamala Lopez. And I'm Joel Marshall. And we have the pleasure of sitting here today with Lisa Lido. Lisa is uh, an amazing artist as well as a recent filmmaker. Um, we met her because she's doing her, is it 11th short Finished film? yesterday, yes. She's made 11 short films in two years, and you just started filmmaking, is that right? Yes, on number one. <laughs> started out. So what made you um, decide to transition from the fine arts uh, painting mostly, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Into the, the uh, filmmaking arena. Well, it's happened gradually. I have arthritis and osteoporosis and in my hands. That's, you know, I just couldn't paint well anymore. Not the quality I wanted to and did before. So I said, one night I just thought about it and I said, I know what I'll do. I'll do it with the camera. And I used them, my colors, you know, and and create different things. And the sky's the limit, there are no rules and regulations, so it comes out very odd and askew at many times. But it's fun, the crew loves it, they like, the, like to make the uh, pictures, so um, it works so far. And how did you educate yourself as to how, I mean, because filmmaking, it, there are a lot of technical aspects to actually just putting together a crew. How, how did you, I know you have Corey, who helps you a great deal. Right. How did you enter into it? For the novice filmmaker, do you, how would you suggest that they do something like that? Well, uh, I did still photography, uh, and then gradually, uh, one day I said, you know, this is not enough for me. So I just went and got some people together and uh, uh, started the film. Uh, I'd been around the th this Warner Brothers and places like that because my first husband was doing all the music and things there. So I was, you know, paying attention. And it was not difficult, I don't think, to pick up a camera and do something. If you have imagination and don't care about the rules, it works easily for me. Well, I, we've been watching your films, Joel and I, and they're really incredible in that, um, as you said, they really are flights of fancy. They're mm -hmm. aesthetically very rich, which relates to, we're That's gonna show some of yeah. the audience your, your paintings and so forth. So there really is a, a journey that you're taking a through line of your artistic sort of aesthetic that comes into the films. How do you um, select your actors? When I, for instance, Maxime, you know, uh, she was in, what was it? The, um, the Chinese one. Oh, yeah, she was in the Chinese one. She uh, sat next to me in the beauty shop, and I said, do you want to be in pictures? She's 94. And she said, oh, I'd love to. I came out to Hollywood to be in pictures. And so I said, okay, you got your opportunity. And she was so funny and so such an individual. You didn't have to teach her anything. She just herself. And whenever I find my friends or uh, people like that, I let them create. I give them guidelines, and then we don't have scripts, you know, to say word after word. And we just uh, fill in fantasies and things we want. 
So it's natural. They look natural, don't they? Mm. Yeah, and they look like good actors. What I'd like to um, investigate with you is um, your journey as an artist from painting all the way through filmmaking. I think uh -huh. you've had a, a long journey. The, the, the mannequins are what I'm aware of. The, the chess set that you made and uh, the mannequin that we were looking over here and the mm -hmm. beautiful painting that you've done, done on that. Um, how did you start? I, I wanna, do want to go back to how you started as an when artist. I was three years old. I picked up a pencil and I just from then on. I had no formal education at all because I married young. And then, of course, uh, you know, husbands, they want you in the kitchen and making babies. And so we actually made a deal. This is my present husband. He said, we'll marry, but only if you <laughs> go back into the kitchen and raise your children and things like that. Because I met him at one woman's show that I had. So uh, uh, he was a wonderful person, so I said yes. <laughs> and then I kept my bargain. He, he told you that... You know, he wanted me to go back into the home, the kitchen, raise kids, and when they grow up and go away, then you can go back to your art. So I agreed, and I kept my word. You agreed to that because it goes. It it seems like it goes against everything. It, oh, I'm sorry. It seems like it goes against everything that that's the underlying philosophy of your work. Right, but you know, women make sacrifices, and that's what happened. <laughs> and I kept my side of the bargain. And then when I say, well, okay, the last one is gone. And uh, I'm going to work. Work? What do you mean you're going to work? Well, I always painted and things like that all through the time and photographs. So, but I was going to be serious now. So he Where were you living at that time? Well, we've lived here over 20 years. And then in the house down on Sunset, we lived over 20 years. So, uh, you know, and always in Los Angeles. But your sensibility to me seems European. Is there? It is. What's the my, my family was, mm -hmm. and you can tell that's all library. Everything is full of books upstairs, and and we collected bronzes. If you go to the museum here, you see the bronze collections, mostly ours. We donated it to them, and uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But wasn't <laughs> that's not good for an interview, is it? <laughs> <laughs> But were, um, were you raised in Paris? No, I was raised here and in New York. I see. And in New York, when I was nine years old, uh, they have the uh, Greenwich Village Art Festival where they all the artists come and put up their things. And I was nine years old, and my stepfather was an artist. And so he, we went, and I set up my... I was doing little sculptures of people and things, and it sold out immediately. So I thought, well, there's maybe some promise in this. <laughs> in other words, I was hooked. I always uh, did art, but I never went to school or anything like that. We were broke. It was the Depression. Nobody could send me. So uh, it's good because there you get shoved into down an aisle and into a box. And I, uh, I don't believe in that. So... Where did you, so you're obviously um, very uh, much a part, I, I hope I'm correct, of the either the Surrealist movement or the Dadaist mm -hmm. movement. Um, 
how did you come to to associate with that? Was that sort of the anarchistic philosophy that appealed? Well, that was the time when I was nine years old, that, you know, 1920s, uh, 30s, you know, that era. And uh, that was what was going on. That influenced me. And also um, Flemish, the quality, the beauty of, of the color and things. So... Um, those were my guiding lights. How did you um, come to working with mannequins? What is it about mannequins that intrigues you? Well, I have, I had a daughter-in-law. She's wonderful. I still love her to death, and we're, but she lives in Kentucky. And uh, when she came out here, she was idle, and she shouldn't be. So she opened a boutique on Rodeo called Lina Lee. It was a very special one, and um, and so I said, "Listen, I got an idea. I'm going to make you some mannequins for your opening window." And and uh, they were so successful that the whole <laughs> area there was all crowded. People just looking in the window. They always had to come and take all the <laughs> fingerprints off. And uh, then she was next door to Theodore and somebody else, and they complained. They said she's you know, disturbing uh, our customers and nobody can get into our shops and things. So while I was painting on them, I, it felt fantastic because I thought, my, this is a wonderful canvas, you know, you can tell a story on it and everything. So that's how I got into it. And your mannequins uh, all seem, I'm thinking about the chess board for one thing, this life-size chess board that she has made where each of the characters are painted and it's women on one side and men on the other. Yeah. How do you get those mannequins to look in, you know, in all those different ways and all those different poses and, and uh, where do you get the mannequins? Well, uh, uh, when I started, the mannequin business was thriving here in Los Angeles and they would just like dresses and uh, they would come out with two collections a year, you know, the different varieties. And uh, uh, so I had a wonderful choice, and then it, then I would go to the Orient and see, oh, they have nice ones. So I would start gathering them. In fact, I have a whole room full, and I'm just going to start a new project upstairs. And they came from China; they were made in China, but designed by uh, somebody here. They're fantastic mannequins. I'm thinking that um, your abilities as an art collector. Um, is something that really enhances your abilities as an artist. Do you find that to be true? Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, I love art, and I can't keep my hands off it. And I have my taste, and so my husband relies on me, and I choose the art. And what is, um, I, I think that you probably have a strong, uh, some strong feelings about men and women and the dynamic between men and women. Is that true? Is that something the that drives? Of the sexes. Because it is a continuous battle. And the women are gaining, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but finish the story. So after the children left the home and, yes. and you kept your side of the bargain, uh -huh. then um, you went back to work. And by work, was that the mannequins or yes. what? Yes. First I started with Lina to help her with the shop for the window. And then I came and I bought mannequins and I 
thought, I'm going to make my husband the most marvelous uh, birthday present, and he collects chess set. If you open that door, you'll see it. Uh, so I made him the life-size one. And then everybody started talking about it, and then uh, galleries, you know, asked to show them, and it went on from there, you know. It's so intricately painted from, I've just seen pictures of it. How long did it take you to construct a chess set like that? A year and a half. And the Last Supper, a year and a half, too. So coming back to the filmmaking, so now you, you've embarked on this new sort of art form. Um, and are you still thematically concerned with this, the same um, underlying ideas, the battle of the sexes, is that um, sexual politics, is that the underlying um, messaging? It's everything I do, it's, it's a motive to my madness. I like the China Bed Cafe with Maxime, the old lady, and the young man coming in. That's every woman dreams of the last romance she could have it in her life. And uh, so this fed right into it. You know, I thought, I'm going to do that. And it's funny, short, and it's true. One of the themes that I also noticed that was recurring has something to do with cloning. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I believe in that. And it's a th uh, I tried to do th that so that the public uh, wouldn't be so afraid, so against it, you know, because it's important. And uh, so that's why I made, started the cloning. And now, what am I doing? I forgot the, um, the latest. Huh? Oh, yeah, that's why the stem cell bajique now to make people laugh instead of be afraid of it. And look at all those lovely things, the lames and everything. the most recent film that you just finished shooting? Yeah, last night. You were at the rap party, yeah. The, yeah. the um, set, I, you know, obviously I didn't see any of the shooting, but the set was really amazing. And again, it had the mannequins in it. And it's, it's yeah. called Stem Cell Boutique. Yes. On Rodeo Drive, of course. Mm, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why all the diamonds and things. <laughs> Ask yeah. about our certified pre-owned program. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, that's great. Um, when you decide to take on one of these short films, how do you prepare? First, I ask my husband for the money. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? After last night, he said, no more. <laughs> so he said, you go out and get your own money. So that's now uh, part of this project. I have to go uh, finance it. Now, how are you budgeting these shorts? By spending as little money as possible. <laughs> and it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think probably most people think, oh, there's a rich old woman fiddling around, and so they charge me sky-high prices. So I have to get that out of their heads. Poor Corey has nothing to eat. And look at him. He's thin and starving, starving <laughs> the cameraman. <laughs> and do you start with a script or do you start with a I painting? I wake up in the middle of the night and write all my scripts, yes. Oh. We don't stick to them, <laughs> but, uh, but we get an idea of what to do and they, I, I ad lib with them. So, One of the things that I noticed also uh, about your films is that because you, you are so unencumbered by 
physical reality, let's mm-hmm. say, um, you make a lot of use of special effects and visual effects, which generally for a short filmmaker are somewhat um, out, of, out of range because they are complex. Yes, Vincent, that's what kills me, the special effects people. I was going to ask you that because you can't get uh, special effects for, I mean, the kind that you're doing, which are quite yes, elaborate. Profession, professionals, they, they do all these Batmans and things that are flying around, so they're for me. Mm-hmm. Not that I care for Batman or anything like that. What kind, of, what kind of films do you like that you go and see? Very few. I don't see any. Uh, I love foreign films. And um, because they were more like me, with some content and uh, whatever their specialty is, I'd go see those. But I haven't seen many of them. And the Japanese films I adore, and uh, the French, of course, and the Italian. But you see how their business, it's it's gotten so expensive that it's almost impossible to make a, a movie unless you're over at the big studios, and then they only like Batman, you know. It's horrible culture time now. Nobody speaks English anymore, have you noticed? You mean proper English? Yes, I guess, what would you call what they're speaking now? <laughs> well, you know, language is fluid, unfortunately. That's right. they change so. all the time. But, um, I mean, it's grammatically doesn't exist anymore. I'm making, well, I was trying to think of an example, but I can't now. Um, uh, My mother always corrected me. She was a thinker on those things. Uh, I'm going to make a, uh, um, I'm going to, what did I say? I'm going to make a pile off of this and, which is incorrect, you get off a streetcar and a train, but you make something from something, you know. So she was always doing that to me, so I become almost impossible around them. So I keep my mouth shut, but I correct it automatically inside. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pet peeve of ours as well. Unless I make the mistake, then it's then it's okay. <laughs> then it's just language evolves. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in in a ideal world, your eleven films is, uh, they they would be seen where and how? They could be seen anywhere on the airplanes and trains and beauty shops anywhere where somebody has to sit and. Uh, and of course, they can be sold and seen at home. Are yeah. you going to compile them? Uh, I see, I only have eleven, and my husband said no, and I want twelve. Uh, but I'll put them in packages of six and sell them. I wanted to do it before Christmas, you know, that would be a fun pre- Christmas present. And uh, um, I've got them on the. Uh, what do we have it on the Amazon.com? Yeah. Amazon.com. Now, um, who do you think your 
films are very, I think they're, they're very artistic in a way that the, the images that you get from it and the experience that you have is not your typical narrative experience. Um, do you think that will be challenging for your audiences? Well, I'm trying to educate them. Maybe they'll speak proper English after. <laughs> Everybody speaks proper English there. Um, if they do, I think that it's enough uh, improvisation that they uh, they will try to. It's funny. They want to find out what is that, you know. I think it it's a learning process. What about film festivals? Have you done a lot of festivals? Well, this the this this year, the first half, how many five? five. Yeah. Uh, we got into con. And uh, they showed it every day, all day long. They have it on a loop, you know, around the different places in the festival. And then we were in England, and we were in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and I forgot where's Boston. Yeah, in Boston. What? Oh, Toronto, yeah. Did you go to Cannes this year? Yes. I was there as well. Really? It was a mess. I hated it, and I left. <laughs> Why did you hate it? Because you were standing in line waiting for... You couldn't find any place to, to go. It was terrible. And, uh, you know, I have problems because of my... Uh, I have the head problem. It's obvious. <laughs> and so I... I can't stand, you know, uh, long times in lines, and and uh, it's not worth it. So I left. I sent Corey and other people to stand in line, but they couldn't find either anything. It was awful. One of the things that um, might be of interest to you, I, I'm just as a suggestion, is um, there are European short film distributors, I don't know if you've looked into that, Corey, that, that would, um, I think that there's a real European market for these, these shorts, and especially in the context of um, Lisa being a very well-known artist in her own right, so there are these people, they call themselves um, reps. Have you heard of that? I know what a rep is, but there's a rep for a lot of things, though, but I didn't know they had them for their shorts. They do. There's mm -hmm. a, a person that works out of the Netherlands who's very well known. Mm -hmm. I have his information. I'll pass it along to you. Mm -hmm. But it seems like that um, for European television, mm -hmm. um, they even seem to show shorts before features still in yeah. Europe, mm -hmm. um, that your work would, would find real oh, traction absolutely. over there. Yes. I think yeah. it might be a little harder in the United States because, as you said, there we have a film culture that's sort of used to the Batmans. Yeah. And um, anything that's off the beaten track becomes a specialized item. Mm -hmm. But in Europe, it's much less that way. Oh, yes. Well, uh, I have a crazy Russian woman who's doing something in Russia. The trouble is they have such a terrible black market. You know, she said you can't make a nickel out of them. They're stolen all the time, the Russians. 
Netflix. Well, that's why I, you make your one deal with, you know, Moss Films or I don't know, or whatever the cable uh-huh. station and they is. they take and care of that. Yeah. That would be my suggestion. Yes. Otherwise, I don't think Corey could go out and challenge the Russian mafia. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the average budget of one of your short films? Uh, the average budget, uh, overpaid, uh, of course. Uh, what were we saying the other day? It was two, 250, 250000 and you were shooting on high definition. Yeah, which might be not so high, this next one, but still high. What do you mean by it might not be so high? This well, there are two, two different, there's one special, special, and one that's just lovely. Mm-hmm. Are we Thank talking about the Sony, the Sony uh, 950? Yeah, I think it's the difference between the 1080 uh, and the 1240. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the picnic was, was uh, shot with uh, not so high. But then the, the um, Tahitian wedding is with high, high, high. Yeah, the one that I really liked was the cloning one, two, three. Uh-huh. Isn't I that funny? That was my first one. Yeah, could you tell me um, how you went about shooting that? I mean, it's basically the girls, uh, the woman is on the swing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, the fact that, that y- you're making films at your age uh, gives a unique perspective because the people that are making films at your age are probably, you know, there's probably 0.5% of the filmmakers or 0.00005% of the filmmakers are making films at your age. And I felt, feel like that particular film has a unique perspective because you are where you are in your life. Can you talk a little bit about that film and what, you were, what you're saying with that film? Well, everybody said you can't do it. So I said, certainly, I mean, there's, where there's a will, there's a way. And none of the people that, uh, the photographers said, well, we have to figure this out, and it'd be weeks, and then it didn't work. And so uh, when we were doing the picnic, um, I, I was in bed and looking out uh, the window, and there were two people trying to clone two bottles uh, on the train of this lady's skirt. And they couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. So I just got out of bed and I said, look here, I'll show you how to do it. And so uh, that's what I had to do with everybody that uh, I used. Do you you have a vision for something and people tell you you can't do it? Do you think that that, um, the fact that you just picked up a pencil and said I'm gonna be an artist and you trained yourself how to be an artist. Do you think that that is the same chutzpah that you have here where you're saying, I want to do this, and, and you know, people say no, and you say, well, I'm going to push it forward till it actually occurs. Do you think that that is the same kind of drive that you same. have? My husband calls it something else, you know. Pamela has that as well. Oh, yeah. Say, well, well, let's do this and we'll get out of our way. way. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right, Corey? <laughs> It's going to be done, and it's easy, you know, when you put your noggin together a little bit. So did you just place the actor in one spot and then put an X for her to look at herself later when you had them all in different spots after the hat flew off, you know? And they're all looking for the hat. They weren't like when they were sitting on the swing. That's right. So we just did it like normal. They all ran after their hats. But it's only one person. Yes, it's one person. 
So you had the green screen, and you had mm-hmm. and you had one person running around. Then you'd cut, mm-hmm. and you'd put her in another spot and have mm-hmm. her running around, and then you'd yeah. just overlay them all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was very clever. Yes, it was very Not clever. So called it all. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think also that's the thing about your films that, that make them unique is that um, – you don't you don't necessarily have some kind of boundary about what a film should be. I just Absolutely. don't feel like you have any idea of like that there's out. what it you can't. Yeah. You. <laughs> I said the guy be. goes out that door. He doesn't. Uh, uh, he isn't forced to come back in that same damn door. He's coming out another door. You know. Oh, you can't do that. I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I said, oh, I can. You just this broke the line. Thing. I'm sorry, you can't do any of that. Yes, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Everything's happening, and people don't even realize it. That you know, in normal films, they like wouldn't allow that. It's fun to go through them. Some, especially there are a lot of them in this last one, the uh, Widows Express. Sometimes uh, Crystal has her glasses on, and sometimes she doesn't, and another pair. But so what? That's fun. That's color. Can you tell me a little bit about Crystal Express because? I I saw the film and mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand what you're trying to say with it. Can you give me an idea of like your perspective when you went about making that film, what you were trying to say with it? Yes, it's very easy. It's um, these widows, and, and you know I have these few people that are play men and women, so it's very easy. Uh, and they, uh, uh, Crystal Bentley, sh- her husband was a a railroad tycoon, you know, in the old days. So he had all these trains. So she could afford to bring all her friends for a day, strip, um, not, uh, he died, you know, so, because she is always on the phone with him. And that's uh, the barriers also. I had them speaking with people, you know, in heaven and hell or wherever, uh, it didn't make any difference at all where they were or what time of the day. Somebody was saying, why is it daytime and then nighttime? And it, it doesn't matter uh, what well, time. Is that, based on, is that based on a personal experience, personal relationship that you had? No, I don't know anybody dead who called me yet. <laughs> no, but I mean about this woman you said who had the uh, car that her husband owned the railroad well, and they went on the car. History. You know, the, the times of the railroad barons, you know. And so uh, she was a rich woman. And Lady Muchmore, you know, the, uh, the fat one, because she, ha- she was had much more than anybody else. And she wanted to be high class, so they put Lady there. And uh, they're always a meaning. I give everybody different names. And... Uh, And also, it seems like at a certain point in that film, um, all the deceased husbands suddenly appeared and were trying to get the yeah. women to join them in yeah, wherever. Yeah, them. But <coughs> it opens up, and there they are. Come on home. And they ig- ignored them. They wanted to keep partying. Oh, absolutely. She said, we've got all the money now. <laughs> now, your husband is a scientist, right? Uh-huh. and an inventor. Yes, yes. How does that affect your work? It's completely different. It's his 
side of the room, he invents, and my side, I paint. And how does that affect your relationship? I think it's wonderful because you're not, you know, butting in on. <laughs> I keep my painting to myself, and he keeps his scientific things to himself. Makes a lot of money with it. <laughs> Although what's interesting, though, is that, frankly, um, inventing is what you're doing. You know, you're both actually doing yeah. the same thing. So there is a sort of... Um, Common ground. Yeah, right. It's not like he's a banker. No, no. Well, I'd count his money for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have the time. I make Who my does? own money, too. Yeah. I'm on the market. Oh, yeah. trade stocks? Yeah, I made a lot of money. And also, do you sell your mannequins? Oh, yes. I've s oh, many, many, many. I'd have shows all over the place. I mean, that would be something that if I ever collect, I'm in a position one day to collect, I would certainly collect one of your mannequins. Oh, thank you. You're one of the future smart ladies. I just had uh, a show in Rome, in Milano. I had one in Torino before. Where else? It was all over the place. Moscow, St. Petersburg was a fabulous success. And then it was in uh, Denmark, and now October we'll go to China. With a new exhibit? Yes, a new uh, piece that I'm doing. What is that piece? It's, uh, if you know Rembrandt, uh, you know his famous paintings of the, of the physicians looking at the one doctor who's dissecting a man. This is my last, you know, hurrah. I'm, this will be the end of the, the things because I'll have said what I wanted to say. So <clears throat> all the ladies, they're ladies now, the physicians looking over and watching him, and they're all laughing. And as he's pulling out, uh, you know, dissecting, and he'll pull, down, pull out a bomb, a rocket, uh, all the things of war. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so that's the story of man. <laughs> He's a killer. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the, a good way to close my war on men and women. I think, I mean, I, I really enjoyed what you were saying in the interview. Um, the interview that you made, <clears throat> I think that all you guys made that has um, the doggy in it. Yeah. Uh, about how... Um, man chooses to to make war. Mm -hmm. um, that's almost his game. Mm -hmm. And women um, try to prevent it to a degree, or try and and, oh, yes. and so they're condemning him for it. So um, when you look at what's going on in the world today, say the the political climate and yeah, the it hasn't the changed. You don't feel that it's changed, has Not it? Got at all. It's getting worse because you can kill more people at one time. So what's to be done about this? Um, I don't know. I have to think that up for the next one. <laughs> there will be. Do you think uh, this is one? I think we have to wrap this up pretty soon. But um, do you think all twelve films? When you've made twelve films, um, do you think all twelve films? 
Yeah, you've made 11. Well, you just shot your 11th, but you're going to make a 12th once you raise the money. Yeah. Well, well, we'll find a way to make it. We don't need to. Oh, good. So, Camilla will take care of it. Now, the uh, <laughs> now, if you um, do, you consider then all twelve of the films once you've made twelve yeah. films to be um, segments of the same kind of s overall statement? Or do yes. you think they're all together? Yes, absolutely. The battle of the sexes. All right. So, um, one more thing. At the very end of our show, we do this thing called Film Bites, mm -hmm. where it's you give a little bit of um, something to inspire filmmakers out there, because a lot of people that listen to our show are filmmakers as well. Yes. And um, just a little, it can be a piece of advice, it could be just something that you observed uh, in working in film, um, just anything that you want to kind of end the show with. I'll yes. give uh, uh, an example would be something usually it's pragmatic that a first-time filmmaker might not know that might help them a great deal if they knew it in advance. That's yes, what it's my method. Uh, you want to make a film, you make it. And not be governed by uh, the rules, everyday rules, uh, filmmaking, because you can do it uh, the way you want and, and it'll still come out uh, expressing your opinions and you can make it beautiful with the way the lighting and, and things. Um, uh, and the, uh, the only thing that's difficult is to raise the money to do it. Uh, but otherwise, I think it's exhilarating. You work with people that uh, have the same ideas, so it's lots of fun. And uh, then you can make a statement in your life. That's great. I liked it. So, and my film bite, um, as pertains to meeting Lisa is that um, on the on your particular journey as an artist it's just so inspiring to me that someone like you that's had such a long and illustrious career in one particular area of the arts was able to just quickly take on this new um, challenge and really not back off from it and not say, oh my God, I'm 80 years old, how am I gonna make a movie? Just go out and make them. And I, yes. I hope that when I'm your age, I have that ability. Right, we'll start getting some money together. Because <laughs> 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 it'll more, be more expensive when you do it. Yeah. yeah. All right, so but that's... It's easy. It's easy. If you want to do it, I think that that's true. Anything that you really, uh, truly want to do. Yeah, you'll have a wonderful time, have a great doing, time it. doing it. Um, that's all for today, and thank you so much for um, inviting us into your home and letting us uh, bar barrage you with questions. Oh, it was my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time on Fat Free Film. <laughs>